Lord, as we've worshipped, as we've sung, as we've reflected, as we've thought about who you are, your love for us. We've used all sorts of words like furious this morning. Um, How your love has, has gone to all ends. And Lord, there are sometimes words that we don't often use when we describe love, or we don't hear them portrayed that way in the media, but Lord, you have shown us a love which surpasses all others. And so Lord, even as you love us this morning, as you reveal yourself to us through your word, Lord, teach us, we pray. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tomorrow, uh, right across our nation, we will pause like few other significant days on our calendar. Australians and New Zealanders alike will press pause on our busy lives and we will quieten our thinking and we will bend our minds to remember, won't we? Australians are funny, New Zealanders are similar. Um, we, don't, we don't generally measure our patriotism with loud music or fireworks or flags or anything else that others do. But maybe one of the best Symbols of our patriotism is probably that lone note of a bugle, isn't it? It's pretty understated, but very, very powerful. That lone note of a bugle as it rings across the pre-dawn. And for over a century, the Anzac spirit has shaped our nations. It's part of our identity whether you've served in the forces or not. It gives us license to engage in playful banter across the ditch, usually over things like rugby and cricket. But as much as we might poke fun at each other as nations and have a laugh at ourselves in the process, history has told us that if you put us in a trench together, if you put our backs against the wall, if you send us to places that nobody else would go, then you will see the true tenacity of the Anzac spirit. I think it's a good, it is a honourable, and it is a right thing to pause and remember the sacrifice of those who laid down their lives for us. We know that some went, many went, and never returned. Others went and returned, but their loved ones will tell you that they never really came home. And so I want to honour them. And I think it's good for us to do so. I think it's an interesting thing 
honouring the sacrifice of others. Because while we commemorate Anzac Day here and in New Zealand, this type of remembrance is not really unique to us. Every nation on earth, through all eras of history, you've been able to find civilizations and cultures that set up statues and remembrance days to immortalize those who laid down their lives for our freedom, who laid down their lives so that we might live. And it got me thinking, I wonder why. Why is it that the Anzac Day is so significant to us as Australians and New Zealanders and Remembrance Day is in the US and every other nation around pauses to remember those who have laid down their lives? What is it about honouring the sacrifice of the few who laid down their life for the many that rings a bell with us so deeply? Why such universal elevation of that type of sacrifice. Well, it stands to, to reason, at least in, in my thinking, that there is some type of shared psyche, some sort of shared way of thinking in the human experience that bends all of us towards this type of honour. That there is some type of common experience whereby our souls are moved by the sacrifice of a few for a many. It got me thinking about where we see this in Scripture. And I think that even from the very dawn of time, from the moment we stepped out of the garden with the skins of a slain animal wrapped around our shame and our nakedness and our sin... I think we've been hardwired internally to recognize the honor due to sacrifice. And we see it in our, our public celebrations. We see it in our movies. Right? The sacrifice of a few for the many leaves a mark. It leaves a, an indelible stain that we can't get rid of even if we wanted to. I think that type of sacrifice has a ripple effect. So that even more than a hundred years later, a century plus later, we will still pause tomorrow morning and we will say, they shall not grow old. As we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. True, isn't it? There's an echo to their sacrifice, an unspoken expectation that we will not let their sacrifice be made in vain. That the cost that they bore will bear fruit for generations to come. So the question is, what echo remains? 
It's one thing to honour someone by saying a few lines of prose or by playing a bugle or by raising a flag or giving them one minute of silence, but what truly is the echo that remains? What is the fruit born by their suffering? I don't mind watching movies every and again, so I wondered, is it portrayed like the memorable movie Saving Private Ryan? Some of you may have seen it. It's not an endorsement. What's the weight of responsibility that comes with such sacrifice? The movie I just mentioned has Captain John Miller, who's played by Tom Hanks. It's an old movie, so forgive me for the spoiler alerts. But he looks up at Matt Damon's young title character in Saving Private Ryan, and he whispers to him as he's dying, earn this, right? Earn this. To which, at the end of his life, we see an uncertain Ryan sobbing over a white gravestone engraved with the name Miller and he says every day I think about what you said to me on that bridge and I've tried to live my life the best I could I hope it was enough I hope it was enough and I wonder is that the type of echo that remains the impossible weight of earning it Or maybe it's better betrayed by the words of Jesus, who in John 12 and 24 says, Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. We've just celebrated Easter. Like Anzac Day, it's another day on our calendar in which we pause to recall the sacrifice of the one in the place of the many. I wasn't here, I was at home, sick. But I tuned in on Good Friday and I heard Luke say, and then on Sunday I heard Matt say, that what we celebrate each Easter is not different to what this church celebrates every week. After I'm finished speaking, we're going to do it again this morning. There's an echo of Easter in every week in the life of a Christian, every day in the life of a Christian. But what echo does Easter actually have? One week on... What difference does Easter make? I wonder if it's a saving Private Ryan moment for you. A day where the sacrifice of Jesus came into sharp focus and it fueled a desire to live a better life in some type of attempt maybe to prove that it was worth it. Or maybe it was a grain of wheat moment. A humble recognition that what we have now only exists because of what Jesus did then. A recognition not of the weight of expectation to earn his sacrifice, but instead a recognition 
of the privilege that we carry as we live out our resurrected lives. So Easter has an echo. And I wonder if you you realize that. It's not just an annual event for us. Look, quite possibly there are only remnants of chocolate left in your house by now. A few scattered bits of coloured foil that you keep finding down the cracks of the lounge or on the carpet. Speaking from experience. But let me assure you, Easter isn't done. The death, burial and resurrection, the ascension, the victory of King Jesus isn't done with yet. Tomorrow morning we'll hear the bugle call of the last post and it will echo. And just like that, wherever the disciples of Jesus walk, we should see, we should hear the echo of Easter. I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to see how the writer of the book of Hebrews wraps up what he calls his brief word of exhortation, most commonly known as a benediction. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, just two verses that I want us to focus on this morning. I'm going to read it from the Christian Standard Bible. I'll have it on the screen for you, but I'd love for you to read it along in your own Bible in front of you. Hebrews 13, 20, 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's what I want you to notice from just this brief benediction, these two verses from Hebrews 13. Here's the first thing, if you're a person who writes down notes or scribbles in your margins, you can do this. Here's the suggestion. Your sanctification, I'm going to explain that in a moment, but your sanctification is connected to Jesus' resurrection. Your sanctification is connected to Jesus' resurrection. So let me try and make that clear. Before you met Jesus this morning, I'm going to make an assumption about people in this room, maybe you don't know Jesus yet, but for those of you who do, before you met Jesus, you were completely and utterly lost in your sin. Not only that, but sin had twisted and distorted our nature and our behavior. We were born with the image of our Creator stamped on us, but we have lived fractured lives. Now, the moment that you saw Jesus for who He truly was, the moment that you acknowledged your rebellion against God, and the Spirit gave you the gift of faith, which is fully resting in Jesus as your only hope, I want you to guess what happened. All right? Two things. Two things happened. First of all, all your sin, all your sin was completely absorbed by Christ at the cross. 
all your sin was cancelled and removed. Not one sin. Not one sin, past, present or future, escaped the open arms of Jesus at Gethsemane. Not one sin. That's the first thing that happened. Here's the second thing that happened. All of Jesus' righteousness was credited to you. The Jesus who stood before his Father and heard the Father from heaven cry out, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. All of that right standing before the Father, Jesus took and he gave it to you. You became as acceptable to the Father as his only begotten Son is. So just as Jesus heard the Father thundering from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, believe it or not, God looks down at you in Christ and He says, this is my Son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. But here's something that didn't happen the moment you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of His Son. This is something that didn't happen then. You were not immediately conformed to look perfectly like Jesus. That takes time. That takes learning to walk in obedience by the power of the Spirit. That takes the ongoing battle of submitting your will to the Father's will and learning every day to trust Him. That journey is the pathway of a disciple of Jesus. And that process of daily becoming more and more like Jesus is called sanctification. So back to my main point, your sanctification is dramatically connected to the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to look at it, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, and then look where he he goes. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will. But the writer could have called on a thousand different attributes of God. He could have highlighted a billion characteristics or accomplishments of God, but he chose this one, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's the God who equips you for the pathway of sanctification. That's the God who equips you with everything good to do His will. So if, like me, you feel like you will never make it to the finish line, you feel like that some days as a Christian? You sort of think, why am I still stumbling up over this? Why am I still losing my way? Why do I still walk off this narrow path? Why do I still... Maybe you've walked through the door this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm a lost cause. A broken, 
record of failure. Or maybe you feel like you're the person who will never be able to keep up on this great journey of faith. Then let me tell you what I need to tell myself each and every day. Jesus is alive. Right? Jesus is alive. He is. We used to sing a song when I was a kid in my little old church up in Queensland. Because he lives, I can face what? Tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But listen, it also means that you can face today. Because he lives, I can face today. Right? Some of us can barely face today, can't we? Let alone tomorrow. But I want you to know this, Jesus lives and that makes all the difference. It certainly makes all the difference even in your sanctification. Now before anyone mistakes my intention here, before you think this is some type of motivational message where I'm about to jump off the stage, walk down, poke you right in the middle of the chest and cry out, you got this, right? Jesus lives, you got this. Let me quickly get to my next point. You don't got this. You don't got this. This is the other big thing I need you to see from this little text, the benediction in Hebrews 13. That just like we are completely dependent on God for our salvation, right? None of us have a boast in our redemption. It was all a gift from God. Just just as we are completely dependent on God for our salvation, we are also completely dependent on God for our sanctification. We need the grace of God every day. We haven't got this, but He does. There's a couple of really important words in this little text, the key connectors. I'm going to highlight them for you if you want to Go, you can. Not on the screen, just I'm going to verbally highlight them. The first one is the word equip in verse 21. Your translation may something, say something a little bit different, but equip in verse 21. Um, the next one down is in the same sentence. In verse 21, it's the word working. The next one is the word through, where it says through Jesus Christ. And the last one is the word whom. Whom be glory forever and ever. We already highlighted the first one, really. Who is it that equips you with everything good to do His will? All right. The question is, is it you? Do you equip yourself with everything you need to do His will? And the text says, no. It's the, the God of peace who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the, etern- the blood of the eternal sacrifice, He will equip you for everything good to do His will. It's the Father. The story of Easter, in lots of ways, is the story of our lives. All right? It echoes on and on with every footstep we take in our walk with God. Because Good Friday, right? It, it, it seems like darkness and death had won. 
But we know, this side of the cross, that the blood of Jesus spoke a better word than that. And so while violence filled the night, the God of peace was at work. While the wolves circled, the great shepherd was doing a work that no one could see. That means that the very same God who brought victory at the cross, this text says, is the very same God who provides you with what you need in order to accomplish his will. The God who had the victory then is the God who has the victory now. So that's the first connecting word, equip. The second connection word is the word working. I can guarantee you that every single follower of Jesus here desires to bring a smile to the face of God. I mean, if you are a follower of Jesus, somewhere deep in your heart, you are thinking, I just want... I want to see God smile. I want to see him smile at me. To see my life, to see my walk, and it brings a smile. But I'm also pretty certain that most of you fear that instead of a smile, God looks at you with a kind of familiar expression of disappointment. So I need to remind myself of two things. Maybe you need to be reminded of them also. In Christ, and that's the key word, in Christ, I already have the approval of God. In Christ, you already have the approval of God. That was secured 2,000 years ago at the cross. Right? That was done and dusted. The second thing, this text tells me that God is working in me what is pleasing in his sight. God is working in me what is pleasing in his sight. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't care about my actions or my lifestyle. But it does mean that I can and you can trust your father to do what he does best. God is at work in you, that which is pleasing in his sight. And that leads me to our third connection, where it says, through, through Jesus Christ. So the question is, how is God at work in me? It's not a mystery. Passage tells us pretty clearly. It says that he's at work through Jesus Christ. All right, and that shouldn't really surprise us after all, because... Jesus already told us this. You don't need to turn to it, but I'll read to you a fairly familiar passage maybe to you. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. 
Okay, so that's, that's the important emphasis that we need to grasp hold of this morning. Jesus says that we can do nothing without Him, which means we need to abide, or as this passage says, remain connected. Us in Him, He in us, which probably means we should be asking the question of ourselves, to what or to whom am I most connected to? I mean, if I sit down and do an assessment of my life, if I want to take an audit of my interests in life, to what or to whom am I, am I most connected to? Or you might say it a different way, you might say, what am I into? Or more importantly, what's in us? Because Hebrews tells me that God is at work in us, that which is pleasing in His sight, and He's doing that through Jesus. Which is where our last connection word leads us. Whom? To whom? If it's God, if it's God who equips us with everything good to do His will... And if it is God who is working in us what is pleasing in His sight, and if it is God who accomplishes all of that through Jesus, then who should get the glory when we grow in sanctification? Right? Not us. It's obvious, right? He should. He should get the glory. That's why, as a church leadership, we haven't introduced sanctification sticker charts. All right? We don't have a roll somewhere that's kept up the back secretly by someone where we put little marks of accomplishment beside your name and hand out rewards at the end of every month. Come up and choose a prize from the prize box, Michael. Good job right? Good job, Susie. Everybody else, try harder. That's not how this works. Our good works don't earn God's salvation, but they should echo it, right? Our sanctification is a signpost to who should get the glory, and it isn't us. So tomorrow morning, as the last post accompanies the dawn, it will be good and right to stand in recognition of all that was sacrificed for our freedoms. There were men and women who willingly laid down their lives for us, and we should honour them. But here's the thing, we don't honour them to earn our freedom, do we? We already have that, bought with their sacrifice. So we don't earn their sacrifice, but we do live in the light of it. We recognise that the significance of their sacrifice, which is hardwired into our souls because we know, we know the power that's held when one sacrifices for the many. This type of sacrifice 
has an, an echo, an effect that is ongoing and lives past the event. And earlier I asked you, one week on, what difference does Easter make? I hope you can see that it makes all the difference. Easter has an echo as well. The sacrifice made on our behalf can't be earned, but it can be lived in light of. So will you stand with me as we finish? And I want to read this blessing from Hebrews 13. Stand up, if you can. Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. A love that has been seen most clearly as your own son laid down his life for us. We thank you for the life that we have now. The the hope that we have now the freedom that we have now. And we acknowledge this morning that it has all come because of Jesus. And that you, Father, as you were able to accomplish that, have also committed to the fact that you will accomplish something in us. That you look at us and you are at work in us through Jesus in such a way that brings a smile to your face. That you are shaping us to be more and more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we simply turn and look to him this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Grow more and more precious in our hearts, we pray. For your sake and for your glory, forever and ever. Amen.